Hey man, John here. Look, I know you love my voice because you've been listening to it for so many years now, but I'm sure I've mentioned to you that I also do audiobooks and all sorts of fun little things. So, you know what, man? You can totally hire me. And it's easy enough to go to www.johnwatersvoiceover.com. That's johnwatersvoiceover.com to hire me, check out podcasts, and even, if you're not convinced, I'm going to give you free stuff. I got promo codes for all kinds of books to suit your fancy and try my voice out. But also, if you've tried out my voice, you've heard it, you love it, and you're like, I want to support this guy some more. Well, man, I got something for you. I got a store right there on that same site, johnwatersvoiceover.com forward slash store. And man, oh man, we got shirts, hats, we got mugs, we got stuff that you cannot live without, especially if you're a fan of me. So come on and check it out, man. johnwatersvoiceover.com. You'll get great oral and then some. Welcome, welcome, welcome to a wonderful episode of The Gospel According to Stupid. I'm Johnny Waters, and this is my podcast where I read the Bible from cover to cover. Uh, how's everybody doing? Doing good? Um, I'm doing okay. <laughs> I think I could be doing better, but, um, you know, whatever. This too shall pass, it seems. Um, today, we're going to be doing Ecclesiastes Summary. It'll be fun, right? Um, and if you like this episode, you can find us on all sorts of places, uh, at according to stupid at gmail.com. Um, you can find us on the Twitter sphere at accord to stupid. Uh, and, uh, you can find us on a website, www.johnwatersvoiceover.com forward slash podcasts, where you can find the, uh, first bit of this, uh, as well as some other episodes and get yourself really acquainted with me and fuck it. You can even order a t-shirt. It's a muscle shirt right now for the gospel, according to stupid, but you know, it, it's good fun. Good fun, everybody. Um, yeah, so here we go. Um, I got, uh, I got some summaries pulled up just to be sure that everybody's on the same page. I got Bible hub. I've got, uh, our pastor Chuck Swindle from Inside.org. I've got uh, Spark Notes, and I've got my favorite Schmoop to uh, let us know if I was right about Ecclesiastes being like this rich kid just blabbering on about some bullshit. Um, but we'll we'll fucking see. Who knows? Could be wrong. Um, let, fuck it. Let's start with Schmoop. That seems pretty nice, neat, nice, whatever. Um, here we go. All right, we're just gonna. Gonna read through these, and uh, and then uh, Friday, when I post the next episode, we're gonna be starting with Song of Solomon, which that one is also, uh, it's it's even shorter than than uh, <coughs> Ecclesiastes was, uh, and that and that'll be cool. But uh, I, I I have a feeling that most of these future chapters, these future books are gonna be either short or they're gonna just you know <coughs> wipe through them pretty quickly, because. Uh, well, I'm only basing this off of the picture Bible that I checked out at my folks' house recently. And it seems like the last 10 or so books of the Old Testament, they're like, eh, this guy did a thing. You know, they they cover all the cool ones. And then it's all like the last quarter of it is Jesus uh, and all the shit he just done, which I imagine is quite a bit. 
it seems like, because everybody's always up in arms about Jeebus. Um, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, so here we fucking go. All right, schmoop. Here we go. The book of Ecclesiastes doesn't seem to have much of a pattern to it. But there are a few things that hold it together. The first half of the book describes the preacher's investigations into wisdom and folly and madness and fucking vanity and how he found that most things boiled down to vanity. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, they were empty without purpose or lasting reality. The second half of the book shows his conclusions after he finished his investigations. This is only broadly true. Some of the things in his first six chapters seem more like conclusions than parts of the wisdom investigation. But overall, that seems to be the outline. Ecclesiastes begins by claiming to be the son of King David, which might mean he's only claiming to be from King David's line. This led to the widespread belief that he was actually the same as the famously wise King Solomon, a belief that Ecclesiastes, who certainly wasn't King Solomon, may have wanted to encourage so that people would treat the things he says more seriously. The source? There's a source for this. Okay, weird. It, it showed a very tiny YouTube video. After this brief opening, Ecclesiastes introduces us to his favorite word, vanity. Get ready. Yeah, we were. You're about to hear him repeat it. Oh, a trillion times. He discovers that almost everything is vanity. Wealth is vanity. Poverty is vanity. Youth is vanity. Old age is vanity. All is vanity. Another favorite catchphrase is vexation of spirit, which also translates as chasing the wind or trying to herd the wind. He can't say that he recommends it. Pretty much anything you can think of amounts to trying to herd the wind, too. <coughs> Fuck a duck, dude. <coughs> Being up in the north, uh, <coughs> the uh, northwest right now, it's all smoky and shit. So any talking is <coughs> fucks up my job. Uh, pretty quickly. Part of the reason everything is so full of vanity is because life is just a long, repetitive process. Ecclesiastes talks a lot about how everything repeats itself and nothing ever occurs that hasn't already happened before. Like the seasons, it all moves in cycles, and there's a time for every activity you could think of, except for cow tipping, apparently. No one really does that. Also, another link to a thing. Cow tipping, the myth that just won't stand up. Okay. I know people who have done it. <laughs> it's It happens. But the fact that everything is vain and empty and repetitive isn't supposed to make you sad. Being depressed about the fleeting nature of life is just another vain waste of time and breath. Well, fuck you. No, fuck Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes keeps saying to take delight in eating and drinking, but to be merry and find work that you can do comfortably and happily. If you fail to seize the day like this, all you have are illusions, pursuing money for its own sake or pointlessly struggling and competing to do better than the next person. To give uh, a few of the examples he uses, you could wind up trapped in a glass case of emotion. <laughs> uh -huh. Ecclesiastes says that you need to accept that God is far beyond the world where we live and where we'll never have a particularly great idea about what's going on. Ecclesiastes says to fear God and take him seriously, but doesn't really treat God in too much detail. He seems a little intimidated by the subject. These are the biggest cars on Ecclesiastes' train of thought, so to speak. Uh, they run through the whole book. Occasionally, he runs through grumpy little digressions about how he thinks there are no honest women and about how wise men just end up dying, the same as fools. Finally, he ends with a meditation on old age, on how things fall apart and death is inevitable. Cheery, huh? 
But the big takeaway he intends for you is that uh, to have is that life, when you try to understand it intellectually, never is going to make perfect sense. Yet this frees you to take advantage of the moment and appreciate the simple things. If you can find someone nice enough to live with and can get some meaningful work to do, things will be okay. It gets better, Ecclesiastes is saying. You're probably going to be all right, unless he says, shrugging his shoulders, it turns out you aren't. <laughs> he can never bring himself to say one thing for sure. Yeah, that, okay, that one was pretty okay. Um... Um, so, yeah. <clears throat> uh, let's go to one that's, you know, a bit more religious. We'll go to the Bible Hub one. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes contains proverbs, maxims, sayings, and is largely an autobiographical story. Solomon wrote it late in his life, approximately 935. Oh, so they're saying that Solomon did write it, but Shmoop is like, eh, I don't know if it was Solomon. Uh, he had become aware of his mistakes that he made throughout his life and began to document them. The purpose of Ecclesiastes is to spare future generations the suffering and misery of seeking after foolish, meaningless, materialistic emptiness, and to uh, offer wisdom by discovering truth in seeking after God. It appears that Solomon, once again, wants to teach the reader wisdom. I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom uh, concerning all that has been done under heaven. It is a grievous task with which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. One thirteen. Okay. Um, and then they break it down from here. Chapter 1 and 2 deal with Solomon's uh, personal experiences throughout his life. He describes that everything he sought was selfish, pleasure, and meant nothing e eternally. Well, yeah. Generally, he speaks concerning the meaning of life. I have seen all the works which I have done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. One fourteen. Solomon, the man under whom God gave the most wisdom, sought after, researched, and tried everything in an attempt to find lasting happiness, and came to this conclusion. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was no profit under the sun. 20, uh, 2, 10, and 11. Uh, chapters 3 to 5, Solomon gives common explanations and observations. One in particular is 5.15. Uh, as he had come naked from his mother's womb, so will he return. Speaking of everyone who dies, takes nothing with him. Possessions, in the end, are ultimately useless. As tough as it is, our sinful nature naturally gravitates toward materialism. Chapters 6 to 8, Solomon gives advice for having a meaningful life. Consider the work of God, who is able to strengthen what he has bent. Uh, 7.13. I don't remember that one, but okay. Uh, in chapters 9 through 12, Solomon writes a conclusion that clears up the entire book. Everyone will eventually die, and all the deeds of man are vanity, useless without God. I guess. <clears throat> but it's, I, you know, you could all argue that, like, memories are, you know, connections between people are also not vain, but okay. Our obedience must be to him, I guess. The conclusion, when all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. 12.13 well, we are reading the Bible, so. All right, back to literary. Uh, we're going to uh, spark notes now. The narrator of Ecclesiastes is a nameless person who calls himself a teacher and identifies himself as the current king of Israel and a son of King David. The teacher opens with the exclamation, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, one, two. He laments that everything in life is an endless and meaningless, especially human toil and the cycles of nature, for nothing is ever truly new on earth. 
As the wisest man in Jerusalem, the teacher feels he is cursed with the unhappy task of discerning wisdom, for he has seen all the deeds that are done under the sun. 114. In a mixture of prose and verse, the teacher compiles his studies, hypotheses, and proverbs regarding wisdom. The teacher tries many earthly pleasures. He drinks, becomes wealthy, acquires power, buys property, experiences sexual gratification, and views artistic entertainment. However, none of these experiences satisfies him. Although the teacher originally assumes that wisdom is better than folly, he realizes that achieving wisdom is a frustrating and elusive pursuit, for the wise and the foolish both die the same death. He hypothesizes that the best humans can do is to honor God and to eat, drink, and enjoy themselves. This one's a bit more cheery, but so far I think this whole Ecclesiastes can be summed up with just like, let's not, you know, curse the apple because it eventually becomes a core. <laughs> you know. Uh, the teacher also surveys the general trends of human activity. He notes that just as there is time for each good thing in life, such as birth and love, there is always a time for its opposite, such as death or hate. It is often hard for mortal humans to understand the difference between wickedness and justice, but God distinguishes between the two, we assume. Uh, the teacher notes that the human labor is marked by comp competition, envy, and oppression. The teacher praises the virtues of human cooperation, noting the advantages that a team of two or three individuals has over one person alone. Next, the teacher discusses various foolish actions, such as gluttony, the love of money, and excessive talking. The teacher provides a series of instructions for avoiding such foolhardiness, uh, each saying extols uh, negative experiences over positive ones, mourning, he claims, is better than feasting, and in, uh, and the end of things is better than the beginning, uh, which I don't agree with, but he says it, so eh. He also encourages people to be neither too righteous nor too wicked, but to remain moderate. That I can agree with. Still, the teacher remains bothered by the fact that both evil and good people meet the same fate. He grows tired of discussing the distinctions between good and bad, clean and unclean, obedient and disobedient. He ultimately decides that the only factors in determining the outcome between life's opposing forces are time and chance. Uh, the teacher gives positive exhortations. He encourages humans to enjoy their vain lives and activities to the fullest. People must embrace the unforeseen chances of life, since caution only impedes God's province, providence. Uh, he urges young people to remain happy and to follow their inclinations, reminding them to always remember God. The things of earth are only temporary, uh, and life is a cycle that eventually returns to God. 12.7 The teacher also warns the reader against heeding too many wise sayings, for the study of wisdom never ends. The end of the matter, he concludes, is for humans to fear God and to obey his commandments. Analysis The book of Ecclesiastes is a notoriously confusing portion of the Old Testament. The teacher is uncertain and ambiguous in his writings. Uh, he claims, uh, his claims suggest that the teacher is the great King Solomon, the son of King David, whom God blesses with the power of immense wisdom. While his, this identity lends credibility to the book, the teacher's comments are not at all systematic. The book is often repetitive and contradictory. Uh-huh, yeah, we found that. The frequent changes in tone make it unclear whether, whether the teacher intends his comments to describe how humans naturally behave or to tell people how they should behave. The teacher's recurring lament of vanity is emblematic uh, of the book's elusive intentions. Vanity is a translation to the Hebrew word hebel, which means breath of the wind. Oh, interesting. Almost breath of the wild. <laughs> Connoting uselessness. Oh. <laughs> um, 
uselessness, deceptiveness, and transience. Indeed, the teacher's confusing style may be a means to reinforce his argument that human wisdom is essentially limited or vain. Uh, Ecclesiastes' manner of teaching contrasts with the rest of the Old Testament because it questions the process of receiving wisdom and ideals. Although much of the Old Testament is aimed at setting up absolute opposites, the teacher is skeptical of such binary opposites. He does not endorse the division of the world into positive and negative forces, including good and evil, peace and war, clean and unclean. The teacher does not believe that these forces do not exist, but he suggests that defining life within such simplistic terms may not be an an effective way for human beings to understand it. In his most famous verse, he notes that uh, each experience has its appropriate place in life. There is a time to keep silence and a time to to speak, a time to love, a time to hate. 3, 7 to 8. This verse suggests that the tension between positive and negative experiences is fundamental to human life, and that only God can truly judge when a situation is either good or evil. Later, he assumes a more pessimistic tone, affirming that time and chance are the only determining factors in the race between good and evil. The premise of this point of view is that the difference between good and evil is so subtle and transient that humans cannot confidently assume that they are able to differentiate between good and evil, or between obedience and disobedience. The teacher's mode of argument is consistent with the beliefs about the limitations of human reason. Rather than providing us with a set of general rules or guidelines for wise behavior, the teacher makes a series of observations about concrete human experiences. The teacher's study of human pleasure is empirical, testing each pleasurable experience and forming conclusions only on the basis of observations. Yeah, that must have been a fun time. The teacher also refers to what he sees or finds in life, rather than what he thinks. He says, see, this is what I found, adding one more uh, thing to another to find the sum, which my mind has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. 727. The sum, or final meaning, of human life eludes the teacher, and he prefers the basis thoughts on his experiences. Smart. The teacher's proverbs and sayings focus on concrete objects and feelings. To encourage humans to embrace life's chances, he instructs, send out your bread upon the waters. 11.1 so you can feed some ducks and shit. He also speaks about walking on the road, charming snakes, digging pits, looking at the sun, and, as always, as chief advice, is to eat, drink, and be merry. These sayings are metaphors and symbols to afford diverse experiences from which larger conclusions can be drawn. But the teacher leaves the interpretation of his sayings to the reader, further emphasizing his distaste for rigid or dogmatic wisdom. Fun. All right, last but not least, we're going to a, to a preacher man. And I probably should actually uh, find some sort of Catholic summary. But, um, you know, I really don't know what this <laughs> Pastor Chuck Swindle uh, is actually. It, I don't know if he's just... Uh, you know what? Well, um, about. Let's see. About these guys. Okay. Uh, scripture, a person, Jesus Christ, an accurate, clear, blah, 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 blah. I was kind of hoping that they would be like, we're Baptist or some shit, but maybe they're just a, um, you know, a basic Christian. Yeah, they're a basic Christian ministry, I guess. Um, which is good, I guess. Uh, I, I just lean a little bit on the, uh, fuck, you hear my voice right now? Um... Uh, you know, 
Here we go. Okay. Um, apparently I should have been using this a bit before, but we, I'm going to do one more of these as well. Um, <laughs> the Catholic news agency, that seems right. <laughs> uh, if nothing else, it does have summaries and it seems to be the place where you would want to go to get the, the Catholic news because you know, it's the Catholic news agency. Where else are you going to go? CNA. We'll start with that and then we'll go over to the basic Christian, um, view of stuff. Um, <clears throat> so Ecclesiastes is a wisdom book that explores life from the pessimistic, from a pessimistic perspective. Yeah, I felt that too. While Proverbs proposes a salient points of wisdom to be followed, Ecclesiastes, uh, <clears throat> exposes the utter futility of human life without God. Uh, Kohelet, the author of Ecclesiastes, which I don't know where you would find that, cries vanity of vanities, all is vanity, one, two. Uh, traditionally, Kohelet is uh, identified with King Solomon as son of David and king of Jerusalem. 1-1. One, one. But the book does not mention Solomon by name. Some scholars posit a much later date for the book because of certain linguistic features. Hmm. Okay, so it's a possibility that we have a very depressed son of Solomon, maybe. Uh, the book examines many issues, but the focus is uh, on where human beings spend their energies. Uh, Kohelet uh, rejects three goals which people regularly pursue, knowledge, money, and pleasure, each one vanity and a striving after the wind, One fourteen. While he acknowledges the usefulness of knowledge and wisdom, 7.12, Kohelet rejects the seeking them as vain, 1.17. The accumulation of wisdom and knowledge is merely a human undertaking uh, when what God really desires from us is obedience. Yeah, he's always about that shit, even though he gave us a motherfucking free will, 12.13. Uh, work and money are also a central role in the book. Kohelet observes how people spend their days working and toiling, but never seem to gain from it. Everyone's fuck, dude. Everyone seems stuck in a useless pattern of striving. Even those who achieve material success often find that they don't get to enjoy the fruits of their labor. Six two. Kohelet's observation line up with a curse of toil that Adam received after the fall. Genesis three seventeen. Yeah, I, okay, I guess. While Kohelet's observations are somewhat despairing in tone, they are not meant to reject working or gaining wisdom, 3.22 and 10.10. Rather, through Ecclesiastes, we realize the shortness of human life, the smallness of our work, the insignificance of our lives without God. I don't know, man. <laughs> we have some billionaires who uh, went out to space last week, and it seems to me um, money seems to be <laughs> the way of things. But, you know, money and science are uh, a way I'm leaning. Kohelet helps us understand that there are many pursuits in human life that are not worth investing our time and energy in. Rather, we should seek God and keep his commandments, for money, pleasure, and knowledge are merely necessary things along the path of life, but God is the goal of the journey. Hmm, I, I guess. For Kohelet, I mean, I assume, you know, if there's anything beyond this world, that I, I get, you would be right. It's the faith that there is. And some people don't have faith in it, and some people do, and I'm just really not sure. For Kohelet, it seems at first that money, pleasure, and wisdom will produce human happiness, but he is continually surprised to find out that this is not always the case. It seems unjust, even evil, that a person could work hard all his life and never enjoy the results. 6-2. Yet throughout Ecclesiastes, we come to realize that happiness is a gift from God. Is it not something we can produce? Is it? Have you seen... <laughs> Have you seen a Christian or a, 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 on a or an atheist on a jet ski? You show me anyone on a jet ski, and I'll show you a happy person, religious or not. Even the enjoyment of our own work is a gift. 
That's a cop out, isn't it? A little bit of just being like, well, the reason you're happy is because of God. He gave you that ability to be happy. Fuck you. Ecclesiastes often uses the Hebrew word hebel, which we saw before, which is usually translated as vanity. The word has many shades of meaning, from breath, wind, vapor, to worthlessness, darkness, and obscurity. Absurdity. So the potential of being like all is breath, all is wind, and all is vapor, or all is worthless, all is darkness, and all is absurdity. Sounds a bit cooler if you say breath, wind, and vapor, but you know it's very depressing if it's the worthlessness, darkness, and absurdity from this Hebel word. Um, the book discusses the finality of death and brings all earthly pursuits to a sudden halt. Easy to agree with. It is as if all the grand projects of man are simply cut off. Well, it's a passing. And I think we had that in a couple extra past chapters of like, you're doing this for the next generation. and Or maybe it was this one of being like, why do you do anything? Because it's just going to be the next fucking person and they don't know what the fuck to do with it. And it's just this constant handing fucking down. No one can escape from death. It envelops the good and the wicked alike. 9-2. Ecclesiastes is hard to stomach because it confronts us so sharply with the contradictions of life. Yet the hard truths which Ecclesiastes teaches lift our visions higher. While our daily work is important in a limited sense, Ecclesiastes focuses us on the ultimately important purposes of life, to love God and keep his commandments. 12-13. All right, finally. We're probably going to get a one more spoonful of the same shit, but you know what? Let's find out. Who wrote this book, says this uh, pastor um, swindle. Uh, the title Ecclesiastes comes from the Greek word indicating person who calls an assembly. Thank you for someone finally answering that question. So it makes sense that the author identified himself in Ecclesiastes 1.1 by the Hebrew word koheleth, translated as preacher. Oh. Despite leaving only this rather mysterious name to indicate his identity, evidence in the book, along with most Jewish and Christian tradition, suggests that King Solomon authored Ecclesiastes. There's no real proof in it, but it kind of seems like it's going to be that guy. The preacher went on to call himself the son of David, a king in Jerusalem. One who has increased in wisdom more than all uh, who were over Jerusalem before me, and one who has collected many proverbs, Ecclesiastes 1.1, 1, 1, 16, 12, 9... Solomon followed David on the throne in Jerusalem as the only Davidic son to rule over all Israel from that city, 112. He's also the wisest man in the world during this time, 1 Kings 4.29-30, and wrote most of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 1.1, 10.1, Therefore, we can safely identify Solomon as the Koheleth of the opening verse. Verse. You know, I, I could buy it. It's not hard to buy. <laughs> also means a little bit in this that, like, Solomon was just mostly depressed. <laughs> what Emo Solomon. Uh, where are we? With Solomon as the author of the book, we know it had to have been written sometime before his death in 931 BC. The content of Ecclesiastes reflects someone looking back on a life that was long on experience but short on lasting rewards. As king, he had the opportunity and resources to pursue the rewards of wisdom, pleasure, and work in and of themselves, I guess. Uh, yet the world-weary tone of the writing suggests that late in life he looked back on his folly with regret, pointing us to a better, simpler life lived in light of God's direction. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 to 14. I can see that. Makes sense, right? I guess. Um, of like, And it seems like a lot of folks have been like, ah, I had a good time back then. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. Um, you know, and you know, some people regret the good things and the bad things and doing this and doing that, but... 
you know, it seems to be the the uh, the staple of human life. And, it, you know, after doing this review a little bit, Ecclesiastes is starting to warm up on me. It's still very, you know, bleak, I guess. But, like, it's not so, like, Debbie Downer and, like, everything fucking sucks. It's a little more like, I'm old as fuck and I've seen some shit. And, I, you know, I got that before, but... <sighs> It it feels better assuming that like Solomon is an old man writing it as opposed to like, you know, I'm 22 and I think that you know, why can't people just use their inheritances to buy the next house? Uh, why is Ecclesiastes so important? Ecclesiastes presents as a naturalistic vision of life, I guess, one that sees life through distinctly human eyes as opposed to what? But ultimately recognizes the rule and reign of God in the world. Eh, the rule? This more humanistic quality has made the book especially popular among younger audiences today, men and women who have seen more than their fair share of pain and instability in life, but who still cling to their hope in God. Okay. What's the big idea? Ecclesiastes, like much of life, represents a journey from one point to another. Solomon articulated this starting point early in the book. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Which, if we change this, breath of breath, or breath of whatever the fuck, um, breath of wind, breath of this, all is breath. Still sounds pretty cool. Ecclesiastes 1-2, indicating the utter futility and meaninglessness of life as he saw it. Well, vanity is a bit different than, um, like, something that passes, you know. Um, like a moment's like, look what I have, look what I do, you know. Which I get, I can understand the vanity part, but I don't know. I don't know if that's the right... <clears throat> word to translate necessarily correctly. Nothing made sense to him because he had already tried any number of remedies, pleasure, work, and intellect, to alleviate his sense of feeling lost in the world. Yeah, Solomon was depressed. I don't know why he was, but you know, we all have our battles, I guess. However, even in the writer's desperate search for meaning and significance in life, God remained present. Well, he was Solomon. He was always around. So this also proves a thing, I guess. Being, even if you're deemed the wisest, even in God's eyes, and you've been gifted that sort of thing, Solomon being one of the mo more popular people in said Bible, seconded probably <clears throat> from like the cast of everything in the New, New Testament, from Jesus and the apostles and stuff like that, he's probably like in the top five of people you can name. Um, but even with all of God's gifts and shit like that, you can still probably be a little depressed around some point and being like, what in the fuck is the fucking point? You know, even if you have proof positive of like, I'm up here and your whole life exchange, this temporary thing either gets you an eternity one way or the other, which is fucking dumb, but it is what it is. For instance, we read that God provides food, drink, and work, 224. Uh, I don't know if he provides work. I think it's just mostly us trying to make said food and drink. I think he'd, if, if we're going to go down this route, and I don't believe it necessarily, but if we believe that God has made everything, he's just the guy who's been like, it's there, go get it. <laughs> Both the sinner and the righteous person live in God's sight, 226. Yes, they do. God's deeds are eternal, 314. Well, uh, I don't know. Noah seemed to put a, big wrench in that particular thing. And God empowers people to enjoy his provision, 519. Ultimately, the great truth of Ecclesiastes lies in the acknowledgement of God's ever-present hand on our lives. Even when injustice and uncertainty threaten to overwhelm us, we can trust him and follow after him, 1213-14. How do I apply this? 
We all desire meaning in life. Often that search takes us along winding, up-and-down paths filled with bursts of satisfaction that shine bright for a time but eventually fade. In one sense, it's satisfying to see that experience echoed through Ecclesiastes. An appreciation of our common humanity emerges from reading its pages. We relate to the story of Solomon because, for so many of us, it is our own. Our, is it? We're not kings, and we're not, you know, being gifted by God in front of a bunch of motherfuckers, and then being told, being like, hey, your, your kids are going to fuck and s- shit over everything you're going to do. Probably why he was so depressed, being like, everything I do is going to be handed down to lesser and lesser people, and why the fuck won't God do something about this? When we attempt to find meaning in the pursuit of pleasure, the commitments to a job or through plumbing intellectual depths, <laughs> uh, we all eventually find in each uh, their pursuits a dead end. In these pursuits a dead end. Huh. Ecclesiastes shows us a man who lived through this process and came out on the other side with a wiser, more seasoned perspective. When we're surrounded by the temptation to proclaim life's ultimate emptiness, we can find in Ecclesiastes a vision tempered by experience and ultimately seen through divinely colored lenses. Uh, Life is destined to remain unsatisfying apart from our recognition of God's intervention. It only remains to be seen whether or not we will place our trust in his sure and able hands. Have you struggled with misplaced pursuits in life? Well, mm, sure, but you know. Uh, Does your life lack the meaning and purpose you desire? No. I I make my own. Hear the words of Solomon that they might encourage you to place your trust solely in the Lord. Mm. I'm still thinking my own hands are a bit more, I don't know, a bit more reliable. True, you know, if I'm asking the big, you know, chance questions of things, sure, God might have the answer for stuff, but... You know, that's just me rolling some dice. It's just as equal a chance that something else happens as opposed to, you know, whatever. Anyway, uh, that's probably it from me. Uh, later this week, we're going to go with Song of Solomon, and hopefully these uh, this smoke clears up, but probably not. Um, and uh, you have been gospel to by the stupid if you leave a big old five-star review. Motherfuckers, please leave a review. That'd be super sweet. 